Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. You may take a seat. It's good that we are here. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so glad to be a part of this and leaning into the worship of our Lord and being a part of what God is doing together. Uh, when I come to worship services, I, I, I often have the feeling, I think, that Peter had at the Transfiguration when he saw Jesus with Elijah and with Moses, and he just said, I love this, he just said, it's good that we're here. <laughs> and I just want to say that it's good that we're here. It's good that you're here. It's right that we're together uh, worshiping our Lord and, and pursuing uh, the knowledge of God who is right and holy and wise and true. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is uh, Jason Dees. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, have the incredible privilege of opening God's word with you today. Um, so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in a text that we looked at last week. And as we're turning, I want to give a little special shout out. Um, you know, Christ Covenant, it's a, it's a brand new church. We're almost two years old. We celebrate our two-year birthday in about a month. Um, and uh, we um, really haven't had much of a college ministry here. We haven't had really a lot of college students that have connected with us, but that is changing, and uh, Josh Anders and, and some others are really taking a great uh, initiative to, to lead out in a college ministry. So we, I know we have some college kids here today. If you're in college, could you, could you give me a little shout? Could you could maybe raise your hand? All right, guys, they're starting school this week. Got a bunch of Georgia Tech folks here. So yeah, we got a bunch of yellow jackets here this morning. Uh, beat Clemson, guys. Go get them. But uh, <laughs> anyway, anyway. Oh, we got some Clemson folks here. Sorry. <laughs> but let's be honest. Wouldn't that be awesome to see? So. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, our scripture reading uh, for today is Ephesians 5. Let me begin reading. Uh, I'm going to read 22 through 33. Um, actually, I'll read uh, 22 through 32. And um, this is uh, the, Lord, the word of the Lord. It comes to us uh, by the Apostle Paul, but it comes to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so let's receive these words as the word of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a few weeks ago, I told you the story of how I first met Paige. It wasn't far from here. We were at a party up at, uh, just right off Wayuka, actually on a road called Wayuka Terrace. And, uh, you know, if you were there, I told the story. I saw her at this party, and she was stunning, and she was amazing. But I didn't get her name. I didn't get her number that night. And two years later, I randomly moved to her hometown 
uh, to go and pastor the First Baptist Church of Covington, Georgia. I met her father and started realizing that this mystery babe wasn't a figment of my imagination, but she really existed. But there was a problem. If you remember last week, Paige had moved to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and you know I thought that there was no way that you know I could uh, try to pursue her. But one night I was getting dinner with a buddy. If you were here last week, I talked about this. And in the course of the dinner, he said, man, if you could meet Paige, you would fall in love with her and you would marry her. And so I got her number. Now we're into part three. And, you know, I hadn't seen this girl since that party two years before. And I called her up and she answered. And we talked for like 20 minutes and she had to go. But I asked, can I call you again? And she said, sure. And so I called her and we talked that second time for like four hours on the phone. And it was just awesome. She was so easy to talk to. She was so much fun. I loved her heart. I loved her voice. You know, when you're developing a phone relationship, it's like the voice is important, you know. Uh, but anyway, so we talked and she told me about her dreams and her love for ministry. And I just, I just remember thinking like, who is this girl? And so we started this little routine. We started talking on the phone and I was living in Covington. She was living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So she was two hours behind us. But I would call her at my time, like 10 p.m. every night. It was 8 p.m. her time after she got home. And we would talk for like four hours on the phone. I was talking to like 2 a.m. And you know what? I was fine. I never got tired. I felt great. I had all this energy because I was on cloud nine. I, I was in love. And when you're in love, you can do anything. <laughs> And I just, I just, she was so easy to talk to. I liked who I was. And Drew Holcomb has this song called, I like to be with me when I'm with you. And that's what it was like. I, I just wanted to spend time with her and get to know her. And finally, she told me she was coming home for the whole month of November. And so I wanted to take her out. And so I asked her out for November 1st, the day she got home. <laughs> and even though we had only met at that party, you know, her parents were out of town. She agreed to let me come and pick her up from the airport. The problem was I had a buddy getting married that day. I was in the wedding and her flight was landing right about the time of the wedding. The wedding was just a little bit before. But sure enough, I did the wedding, you know, as a good groomsman does. And as soon as my groomsman duty of putting my right hand over my left were over, I bolted out of the church, skipped the reception, drove down to the airport in my tuxedo to go and meet this girl. And I remember thinking as I was driving down there, I remember where I was. I was, I was on the two, or 7585 connector. You know, I just passed the varsity. I was making that turn like where you go under Civic Center, Marta Station. And I thought to myself at that moment in my little car, I'm about to go pick up the girl that I'm going to marry. And if you want to know what happens when I picked her up, <laughs> you're going to have to come back next week. <laughs> but for the last several weeks, we've been talking about marriage and God's purpose in marriage and God's design for marriage. And if you've, you're just getting here for the first time, I really want to commend you to our podcast to go back and listen to some of these things that we have been saying. And last week, if you were here, we talked a lot about God's biblical design 
for marriage, that he has called husbands to be the head of their wives, to, to be the head of the home, that he's called wives to, to, to let their husbands lead, to understand the structure that God has put in place. And as we said last week, this is all evidence of a spirit-filled life. It's not natural for husbands to lead in a way that we're called to lead, for husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. It's not natural for a wife to trust her husband enough to lead her and to trust God's design in marriage. But these are evidences of a spirit-filled life. And ultimately, God's purpose in this is that we in our lives would imitate him, that we would reflect him, and that we would show his glory. But what I want to do today is get a, a little bit more practical. We, we've, last week, it was a high level. We looked deeply at Ephesians 5. We talked about how that text was set up, looked at it from a theological framework. But this week, I want to talk particularly about the roles of marriage for men. And next week, I want to talk about the roles of marriage for women. Initially, I was going to do both of these together. And Lou Priolo said, Jason, it's impossible. And I said, no, nah, Lou, we can do it all in one Sunday. And Lou, I see you back there. You were right. I was wrong. Uh, and so I guess that's what 40 years of biblical counseling gets you. But um, anyway... Uh, I just want to talk about God's role for men today, and we're going to talk about one other thing, and then we're going to talk about God's roles for women next week. Now, again, don't get me wrong here. The Bible doesn't get into specific kinds of roles or jobs within marriage, so it doesn't say he's supposed to clean up the yard, and she's supposed to do this, and he's supposed to do the dishes, and she's supposed to lock up. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about postures of the heart in uh, particular roles that um, men and women are called to in marriage that flow from God's design, God's structural and orderly design from marriage. And men, I want to start with you because what God has called us to as husbands, and if you're married, this is what God has called you to do. If you're single and want to be married, this is what God is calling you to. What God is calling us to as husbands is weighty. It is massive. And I think when you rightly understand this, you're saying, I, I can't spend enough time thinking about this, seeking God for help in this, finding other men that can help me maneuver this, seeking wisdom in this, praying about this. This is so weighty. I think about when Jesus was talking about marriage to the disciples in Matthew 19, they kind of, at the end of that, they conclude and they say, well, who can be married? You know, if such is the case, then who can even do this? And Jesus doesn't respond by saying, guys, you're overreacting. Marriage is easy. You know, he basically says to them, yeah, not everybody's called to this. Not everybody can do this. And so let's look at the text again, just particularly the husband part, thinking about what this role of headship that God has given us means. Verse 25, look at with me real quick, and, and let's just meditate on these words as I read them. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So a few things here for husbands. First of all, in terms of just particular postures that your heart should take, roles that God has given you, you are called to be 
lovers. You know, I mentioned last week that the modern secular world has characterized you know, Christian marriage as this domineering man over a weak uh, woman, that there, there's this reflection of dominance and, and weakness, and that is not what the Bible is describing at all. In fact, the, the key characteristic of a husband is love. Husbands, before you're called anything, before you're known for anything else, before you're known for being a good provider, before you're known for being strong or wise or whatever it is, even though those are important things, you're, you're called to be known for how you love your wife as Christ loved the church. The signifying mark of a godly husband is love. And this is the calling to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So we have to think about, okay, how does Christ love the church? What does that mean? Think about Christ and his love for the church. That, that'll be really instructive for you as a husband in trying to think through how you love your wife. And first of all, the love of Christ and the love of a good husband shows initiation. We didn't do anything to deserve the love of Jesus. As we've been singing, Jesus was in heaven. He was the theme of heaven's praises. And yet, he willingly left heaven. He left his throne to come and submit himself to all of life's misery, to come and identify with us in every single way. And he didn't come as a king. He didn't come as someone that had an easy life. He came as a poor man that had a hard working job that was born in a manger in the most humble way. Jesus initiated love toward us. And I want to ask you, husbands, is this the posture of your heart? Are you initiating love with your wife. You know, I'm not just talking about initiating romantic love with your wife. I'm not worried about that. I'm talking about, are you initiating a posture that says to her, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to show love to you. You know, I, I know a guy who every Monday, he goes to a coffee shop, he gets a cup of coffee, and he takes 15 minutes, this is his discipline, he takes 15 minutes every Monday, and he sits there and thinks for 15 minutes about how he can love his wife that week. That's not a huge sacrifice, is it? 15 minutes, Monday. But he has come up with the most creative and wonderful ways to just demonstrate and show love for his wife. It might be serving her in a particular way. It might be taking her on a date that week. It might be securing childcare, taking care of the kids so she can go have a girl's night or whatever, but he's initiating love toward her. Now, one of the things I want to do today, and I'm going to give you a couple of practical tools uh, today. So today's going to be really, really practical and simple. I want you to walk away with some helps here. But husbands, I, I want to give you a tool today, and it, one of them is just this list of questions I got 12 questions here, and this is like the Christ Covenant challenge of the week. I want you to ask these questions if you're married to your wives. And I'll keep talking about these, but the first one is this. Do I treat you as a priority and initiate romance, kindness, and make you feel cherished? Now, some of you husbands are like, I don't want to ask that to my wife. But she will be so honored if you do. And then the follow-up question is, how can I improve? So we can pick these up uh, on the way out. We'll come back to that. But if you are loving her, it, you know, if Jesus said to you, am I treating you as a priority? Am I sacrificing for you? Am I initiating love for you? What would, what, what, what would we say? 
We say, yes, of course. That's, husbands, what we're called to be like with our wives. Second, love, love means initiation. Love, loving like Christ loved the church, means sacrifice, right? Again, as I just said, Jesus, who was rich, he had the entire cosmos. He left heaven. He surrendered himself to the life of a man, and he ultimately surrendered himself to the life of a servant, being obedient to the point of death, as we just said, even death on a cross. Jesus took our sins and took on the greatest sacrifice that anyone could ever take on, the wrath of God, the the weighty and severe wrath of God, so that by his stripes we could be healed, so that through his blood we could be cleansed, and so that we could know God. This is the This is the example of sacrifice that husbands we are given. Sacrifice for your life just like Jesus does. And and this for you husbands, to be sacrificial, to inconvenience yourself for your wife, is not extraordinary husband behavior. It's normal husband behavior if you understand God's design for marriage. What does it say? The man and the woman will be one flesh. And I love what Paul says here. You know, no one was ever commended for taking care of his own flesh, right? You nourish your flesh. You care for your flesh. Of course you do. You know, let's take Matt Nolan over here, for example. No one ever said, you know, Matt Nolan, he is such a great guy. You're not going to believe how he cares for his own body. When his body gets hungry, you're not going to believe this, he will hand feed himself. (laughs) You know, he never complains. He just sits there and, and, you know, as long as it takes... He'll sit there as long as it's take with himself and hand feed himself. Or when his body gets dirty, you're not going to believe this, he will take a washcloth and scrub his own body. No, of course, we don't commend Matt for that. We just say that's normal. That's hygiene. That's, of course, you're going to take care of your body. And this is what Paul is saying here. Your wife is your flesh. Your wife is your body. And so, of course, you're going to care for her. Of course, you're going to sacrifice for her. Love means inconvenient. You know, are you regularly inconveniencing yourself to love your wife? Another um, question from the list, guys. Number two, when you ask me to do something that is an inconvenience, do I do it in a willing and cheerful way? How can I improve? And this is the kicker. Give me an example to help me understand. (laughs) Man, I'm telling you, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. <laughs> a few other things, and I wish I had you know, longer to go on this, but a lover is concerned with his wife's character, right? He's, he's sanctifying her. He's a sanctifying agent in her life. A lover provides for his wife. A lover promotes his wife's growth. Here's another question. Do I lead you and our family spiritually and make you more like Christ? Is there anything that I can do to improve, ask that to your wife humbly and listen to her. And women, be honest with your husbands. A lover prioritizes his wife above himself. So again, we're gonna, we're gonna hand out two sheets. We've got a resource table um, out there. And I just wanna challenge you husbands, this week, I have done this, and it is a scary thing to do, but it has been so good for our marriage. I've done this several times, and I'll ask Paige the same questions because some seasons of my life I've gotten A's, some seasons of my life I've gotten C minuses. And so, um, but I'm going to put this out there. And I just encourage you this week, it takes about an hour if you want to do it right. Figure out a little coffee time or whatever sometime at night with your wife and ask her all of these questions. 
And if you'll do this, you know, quarterly or so, I'm telling you, it will dramatically improve your relationship and you'll begin to love your wife. Another activity I have, and this is one for everybody, uh, for husbands and wives. Um, so Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, it was probably read at your wedding, right? Famously defines love. Love is patient, love is kind, right? You remember, you remember this from your wedding, right? So this is a, a chapter of scripture and, and it's, it's this famous passage that describes what love really is. Now, what we often leave off when we, um, when we read that passage of scripture is the first three verses, the verses before the list. And basically what Paul says in those verses is if your life is not marked by love, and then he says, this is what love is. If your life is not marked by these things, which is love, then you gain nothing and you are nothing, right? This is how important this is. And so this activity is basically just this. Go through this 1 Corinthians 13 list, individually of one another, and I want you to write down where you have failed the other person. You know, so just this week, uh, Paige and I, we got a new refrigerator and we were unloading it. And I had high expectations for Paige's help in unloading the refrigerator. And Paige is not that good at unloading refrigerators, okay? So just let me. But the way I treated her as we were trying to do this was just not kind. I got frustrated with her. I wasn't kind to her. You know what that was? I failed her. I didn't love her. I, I failed to be the husband that God had called me to be. And so this is, for example, so if I was doing this activity, I would see the word kind. And I'd be like, okay, let me confess this to you, babe. When we were unloading the fridge, I was, I was not kind. And what I want you to do is just take some time independently of one another, go through these, and whatever comes to mind. And I'm telling you, if you will have a time of confession between you and your wife, and she, gals, you need to do this too, okay? You're not off the hook on this one. If you'll have a time of confession, to just say, look, I, I failed you here, I failed you here, I failed you here. Let's improve together. It will be so rich for your marriage. Husbands, you are called. And husband, you should initiate this. But husbands, you're called to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Secondly, a husband is called to be the leader of his wife and his home. So we read in the text, he, he is the head. He's the head of the wife. He is the head of the family. Now, there's, again, there's a lot written on leadership, a lot to be said on what it means to be a good leader. Um, there's so many kind of little points that I could draw out to you what a great leader is. But here's something that a leader is. More than anything else, I think that the leader is the one that takes responsibility. The leader is the one that says, I'm responsible for this. You know, when all is said and done, it's my responsibility. And, and husbands, I want you to hear this. This is what God is saying to you. Your family, the health of your household, the spiritual health, the emotional health, it's ultimately your responsibility. One day, you, husband, will stand before God and give an account for how your family was structured, an account for your household. Now, I'm not saying that you're responsible for every decision that every family member makes, but how you design your household, the pace of your household, the, the posture of your household, husband, you're responsible for that. You're responsible to lead your home well. And that is a weighty, if you think about that, that is a weighty, weighty thing. You are called to be, in so many ways, but particularly you're called to be the spiritual head of your home. 
You know, you know what I am grateful for at Christ's Covenant is we do have a lot of wonderful men that are leading their families well. Sadly, in a lot of churches, that's not the case. And women feel like they're, they're the ones that are having to lead. And, and I would say to you, to a wife, if, if you have a husband that's not leading, continue to pursue Christ, continue to follow Jesus. And, and as the Bible says, hopefully your husband will see that and be convicted and to begin to lead you spiritually. But men, you are called to be the spiritual leaders of your home. I was having a conversation with Dan Chin. He was a member here one time and he was pursuing some theological education. And I said, Dan, are you, do you want to be a pastor? I mean, why are you doing all this theological study? And he said, I said, do you, do you feel God's calling you to be a pastor? And he said, well, I don't know if God's calling me to be a pastor of a church, but I know that God has called me to be the pastor of my home. And I just thought that was the best answer. Here's a guy that's pursuing theological education. Why? To prepare himself to be a better husband and to be a better father. This is what all of us as husbands are called to. Now, I want to be really, really practical here. Again, there's so much to be said about all these things. Leadership books uh, will tell you, again, a lot of different things about what being a good leader is. But one of the things that, that everybody will affirm is, is one of the pathways to being a great leader is being present, right? I'm going to be really practical here. Presence is required in leadership. If you want to have, if you want to be a great leader, you have to be there. You have to be present. You have to take time um, to be with the people that you are leading. And a couple of tools that I want to just really encourage you men toward today. Uh, and, and the first is just family worship. Do you in your household have a regular time where you and your wife is involved, and everybody's involved hopefully, but where you are initiating a time where your family sits down together, reads the Bible together, prays together, and sometimes even sings together, but you're pursuing the Lord as a family together. It's a family devotional. It's a time of family worship. And if it's kind of a new concept to you, or even if you know, maybe you've heard about this before, but you're not following it. We've, we've written a little field guide that I just really encourage you to read. It's very, very practical. It's very, very short. You know, I actually looked at this this week. It's only 1,100 words. You can do this, right? Just to put you in perspective, War and Peace is 587,000 words, right? So you got this. Read this. It, 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 it's just a practical pathway into how to start, how to maintain, how to develop a regular time of family worship. And if you'll do this, men, your household, your family, your wife, or your children will begin to see you as the spiritual head. If you'll take initiation in this, and again, it's not hard. You know, a little D's family, our lives are crazy. We're running everywhere. I have three small children. We do this uh, before school. We do it kind of as we have a little family breakfast, and this is what we do. Again, our nights are all over the place, right? We don't have like a family dinner. So we have to take, and it's a sacrifice, right? I mean, it, it means that we have to get up earlier. It means that we can't go. I don't do a lot of breakfast meetings, even though I love breakfast. But I rarely do that because this, that's when we have our family worship. That's when we have our family time together. And so I just want to encourage um, you find a time, be disciplined, and be present as the leader of your household. And then the other one that's just so practical that I want to give to you men um, and ladies, is what, I, what Paige and I call the day date. We, we, we discovered this when we were in Birmingham. Um, what was happening is, you know, I, we had moved over there. I was pastoring Valley. I was still working on my PhD. Emriana was one at that time. She was busy, and 
we just, we had so much going on and we, what was happening is I would take Paige on dates. Um, and the whole time she wanted to like go through our calendar or she wanted to talk about like what our Christmas plans were, or she wanted to talk about like how we were spending money, or she wanted to talk about what we were going to buy my mom for her birthday. And I was like, I don't want to talk about any of this, right? Like we're on a date. Like I remember one night we were going to Hot and Hot Fish Club, this really nice restaurant in Birmingham. And I was going to spend all this money and Paige was dressed up and we're sitting there talking about my mother's birthday present. And I'm thinking, you have got to be kidding me. But what was happening, what we realized is I was doing a bad job leading my wife and leading my family. And we weren't, I wasn't creating any other time to have these very necessary conversations that we needed to have. And so what we instituted was the day date. And we do it on Tuesdays, but what we do is we'll get lunch or breakfast together. We go to like Jimmy John's, not Hot and Hot Fish Club. Um, And... uh, We'll sit down, we'll talk about our calendar, right? Our lives are crazy. Maybe y'all's lives are very normal, but we're always doing this. We've got to put things in place. We talk about our finances, how we're spending money. We talk about our children. Uh, we pray together. And then we talk about the health of our marriage. So I'll ask her, you know, have I hurt you this week? Which sometimes when I ask that question, I feel like I'm handing my wife a loaded gun and saying, well, shoot me now, right? <laughs> but we talk about stuff. We get it out there, and it's so much healthier in that kind of controlled, we know this might be coming environment than if it just were to happen in the middle of a spur. Uh, We ask how we could help one another that week, which I just want to say this. When Paige says, how can I help you? That is like the greatest thing she can do for me. And then if she genuinely wants to help me, and when I say to her, how can I help you? That is one of the greatest gifts that I can give to her. Now we actually have a day date guide, some questions you can ask. We're actually gonna have to hand that out next week because I figured there was, there's too many pieces of paper going around um, this week. Um, but, but men, you're called to lead your wives, to lead your family, and part of that is being present, creating the time and the space to do that. One final note on leadership, something that leadership is not, a godly leader is not a dictator to his wife. Okay, so hear that. The way that a godly husband talks to his wife is very different than the way that you talk to people at your workplace. Right? It doesn't say husbands love your wives as a loving boss loves his employees. No, husbands love your wives as Jesus loved his church. First Peter 5, 3 says, don't lord over your wife. You're not her father. You're not her lord. You're her husband. Finally, husbands, you are called, and this is so important, you're called to be learners of your wife. If you're going to love your wife as you love yourself, as we're commended, you have to learn her. You have to know her. If you're going to be one flesh with her, you have to know her. A really helpful passage in this is 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, let me start with the kind of most explosive. The, the, the part of this passage I want to get to is live with your wives in an understanding way, right? So men, just know you can't say, oh, I can't understand women. No, that, you can't do that, right? If that's who you are, then don't get married, right? Because as a married man, you are called to understand your wife, to live with her in an understanding way. But, but the part of this passage is most explosive um, the weaker vessel part. And modern people say, well, this is why we can't 
trust the Bible. Well, the word here, it's actually a helpful uh, idea. It's the word uh, asthenes, asthenes. And it should be, tra- I would translate it the more delicate vessel or the more precious uh, vessel. Delicacy that comes from complexity. Uh, and the way that I think about this passage is um, by thinking about plates. Uh, I'll explain. So I remember when Paige and I were getting married, we didn't want to register for China. We thought China was a waste. So one day one of my aunts called me and she goes, hey, what China pattern are you getting? And I said, well, we're not getting China. Well, within an hour, I had gotten a call from my other aunt, my sister, my grandmother, and finally my mom called and said, you're not getting China. And I was like, no, we don't want China. And I could just feel my mom fuming on the other side of the phone. And then she, but she just said, China is a great blessing. So, <laughs> so I have a nice ivory pattern. Uh, that, you know what, it does, it sits in a box, right? Because that's what your china does. I never use my china. Now, if you come to my house and you want to use my china, I'm going to have to give you a lesson. It's going to be really delicate. You can't put it in the dishwasher. You can't do anything with it. You can't even touch it, right? (laughs) But if you want to use like the $2 plastic plates that I got from Target, you can use them. You can put them in the microwave. You can throw them in the backyard like a Frisbee. I don't care. The target plates are way less complex. They're sturdier. The china is weaker. It's more delicate. It's more complex. And this is what it's saying to you men, right? Your buddy Joe, treat him like the target plate. (laughs) Your wife, treat like the china plate, right? She's She's a different kind of vessel than you are. And so live with her in an understanding way. Learn her, seek to know her, listen to her, ask her questions. And I love the warning here at the end. What does it say? It says, if you don't do this, your prayers will be hindered. It's as if God is saying, if you don't listen to her, I'm not going to listen to you. Listen to her, learn her. You know, Lou Priolo um, has a great book. It's, uh, it's on sale uh, somebody told me it was 9.50. This one says 8. So y'all figure it out back there. But anyway, it's called The Complete Husband. I would recommend it to any husband here. But one of the things that I love that Lou talks about is he talks about the First Peter 3.7 notebook. And basically, he gives this image of, I haven't never done this, but I probably should, of carrying a notebook around. And when you learn something new about your wife, write it down. So that you can know your wife, you can know what she loves, you can know what brings her joy, you can know what makes her feel loved, you can know what helps her. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And I would say that you have to be a learner, men, because if you don't know your wife, you can't really love your wife. If you, if you don't know your wife, you can't be one flesh with her. A husband is a lover, a leader, and a learner of his wife. There's, there's a lot more, obviously, that we could talk about today. You see, there was no way I was going to get to the women uh, today, Lou, and there's so much more that, I, that needs to be said here, but as I close, I want to say this. Remember this. Your marriage, as we said last week, your marriage is a drama that is a depiction of the gospel. It's a living parable of the gospel, and husbands, I want, you to, I want to say this to you, and I want to say it to me. The part that we are playing in this drama of marriage is the Christ figure, right? We're called to love and to sacrifice and to lead as Christ loves and sacrifices and leads and cares for and sanctifies his church. 
And you'll either do a good job of representing Christ and a faithful job or, or, or you won't. And I just want to urge you, men, as you're pursuing your wife, as remember, as Jesus pursues us, he pursues us from a posture of being totally committed to us. That's how Jesus pursues you. One of being so committed to us that despite our flaws and failures and faithlessness and sin, Jesus comes after us. He pursues us. He's totally committed. He's in. There's a covenantal value in how Jesus pursues his bride in his church. And I just want to urge men and women here to remember this in your marriage, the power of the commitment that you've made to one another. You want to grow in marriage? Be secure in your marriage. If, if you know that that person's not going anywhere and they know that you're not going anywhere, you'll grow together. You'll trust one another. You'll communicate with one another. You won't be marketing yourself all the time. There'll be peace. There'll be trust. The, the kind of trust that you have to have to have these hard conversations. And I just want to say, are you, are you displaying the kind of covenantal commitment that shows I'm in and nothing is going to change that. And I just want to say, you know, to the single folks here, you know, we have such a worldly posture of non-committalness, right? Nobody wants to commit to anything. Don't commit and be free. You don't want to lose your freedom. Don't commit. But, you know, I, I just want to say this. When you can commit, I really believe this, when you can commit to someone, I believe that in that moment, you're actually most free. You show in that moment that you're not just a slave to your appetites, that you're not just a slave to the world around you. When you could hold to something and be committed to something, no matter what, you're actually the most free. You actually have the most power in that moment. Who is more free? The guy that has a strict diet that watches what he eats or the guy that eats everything because he passes the donut shop, right? It's the guy that has a strict diet that he's in control. He can always go into the donut shop, but he doesn't because he is in control. He is not a slave to the winds around him. You know, Lewis Smeads, who's a Christian ethicist, he's dealt with a lot with Christian marriage, and he wrote this. I love this quote, and I, I kind of want to close with this. The promise of marriage, he says, when I make a promise, I bear witness that my future with you is not locked into a bionic beam by which I was stuck with the faithful combinations of X's and Y's in the hand that I was dealt out of my parents' genetic deck. When I make a promise, I testify that I was not routed along some unalterable itinerary by the psychic conditioning visited on me by my slightly wacky parents. When I make a promise, I declare that my future with people who depend on me is not predetermined by the mixed-up culture of my tender years. I am not fated. I am not determined. I am not a lump of human dough whipped into shape by the contingent reinforcement and aversive conditioning of my past. I know as well as the next person that I cannot create my life de novo. I am well aware that much of what I am and what I do is a gift or a curse for my past. But when I make a promise to anyone, I rise above all the conditioning that limits me. No German shepherd ever promised to be there with me. No home computer ever promised to be a loyal help. Only a person can make a promise. And when he does, or when she does, he is most free. 
And I just want to urge you men, as you pursue your wife, love her in this way, this committed, I'm not going anywhere, I'm here, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but we, I'm here and we're going to grow together. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to honor the vows that I have made to you. And you can rest in that. You can rest in the fact that I'm not going anywhere. And that's the kind of marriage that will grow. Just like how we grow in Christ. You know, you grow in Christ ultimately when you're most secure in Christ. When you know that you are in him and that he is in you. And I just want to say right now, in a sermon like this, guys, if you're feeling a little beat up, I'm feeling a little beat up, right? I am not, I do not love Paige as Jesus loves the church. I, in so many ways, am a bad model of this to her, to my children, to you. And that is why I, more than anything else, need Jesus to love me. I need the faithful bridegroom that will pursue me and that will be there for me even when I am faithless and weak. And I just want to say that is the Christian life. The Christian life is not about growing so strong that you can become independent. The Christian life is actually about becoming more and more dependent, about becoming more and more aware of how acutely we need a Savior, and becoming more and more aware that Jesus, our committed Savior, is there and has given everything for us and has loved us deeply and sacrificially, that he has learned us, that he leads us faithfully, even even despite our sin, and that he loves us. He loves us. And you know, I can't think of a better way to end our service today than by celebrating the rescuing work of Jesus and the dependent posture of a believer's heart through believer's baptism. And so we're gonna sing a song, but after we sing, uh, there's a young woman here named Elise Wyatt. And she and I had an amazing just meeting this week. She's, she's actually been resisting baptism. And part of the reason that she has been is what I just talked about. Baptism, if you think about it, is kind of humiliating. You're standing before the church and you're saying, I'm a ruined sinner that deserves to go underneath the judgment of God. And, and I am nothing unless Jesus rescues me. That's the picture that baptism gives. And she said, you know, for so much of my life, I've just struggled with being, a, and she's a great girl and she grew up in a good home and a good family and she, she's done what's right most of the time, but she, she has this beautiful story of, saying I've recognized my self-righteousness and my failure to fall and to rest in the arms of Jesus. And you know, this is what I love about the gospel, is this straight-laced good girl has come to that place where she realizes how much she needs a savior and there may be somebody here and you're far from straight-laced. And I hope you can realize that the savior is waiting. And so as we meditate on these things, um, I just invite you to stand. We're gonna sing. And as we sing, if anybody has any questions about anything, I'll be standing in the back. And then as soon as we're done singing, we're going to actually leave this room very quickly. And we're going to go around our baptistry, which is out in uh, our lounge area. So hold tight with us. Service is not over. Let's sing together before we celebrate what God is doing in this young woman's life and, and what he has done, I pray, in so many of our lives. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.